Hello and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me is ski racing aficionado Ben Clark, former British ski team racer turned broadcasting pro Nick Fellows. Uh, on this episode, we'll be looking back at the women's racing from Altamarkt as a thrilling set of races came to the head, uh, as well as Aldelboden for the men kicking off in some style. The women are in Sestria this coming weekend in Italy, while the men tackle the longest race and the World Cup tour in Wengen. Uh, ben, Nick, welcome. What were your highlights of the uh, of the weekend? Well, I might go a little bit further back than the weekend and say Dave putting in uh, a performance reminiscent of last year at Madonna, uh, looking much more like his like his like his uh, old self. Yeah, it's nice to have him back towards where he deserves to be, needs to be, and can't we now expect him to be? Yeah, it's very good, and Ben makes a very good point. We were starting to get a little frustrated, a little disappointed with yeah. Dave. As you quite rightly say, we expect him to finish in the top five every weekend now. So when he starts <laughs> yes, finishing Dave. in the 20s, uh, we start to think, oh my God, what's wrong? We start hitting the panic button. Yeah. Five years ago, if he finished in the 20s, we'd all be down the pub celebrating. I know, it's funny, isn't it? Tot- I mean, it's a nice place to be in, I guess. Uh, and hopefully it continues when Laurie is able to start putting in some performances. But Dave then looked like he'd found the form, found the missing the missing link, the missing factor of what's been hampering him so far this season and then um, not the best of weekends. Just like racing in the evenings. Yeah, not, That's yeah, what it is, yeah. the night, night races. Night well, he does like, I mean, the, the, we, talk, we talked about it on there, Nick, didn't we, with Eurosport, that everybody seems to like Madonna. Yeah, and it's one of, it's, it's like Wimbledon. It's like Monte Carlo for slalom racers, Madonna. It's been there for over 50 years. Anybody who is anybody in the skiing slalom business has won there from your Krejci's, your Stenmarks, your Mares. Then you come up, your Tombas. Then you keep going through the decades. And for an athlete to win Madonna, it's one of the special ones. It really is. And to have your name on that winner's roster with some of the legends of the short ski sport, then um, it, it really is. And I think from Dave's perspective, to take a seventh position there was the breakthrough that we all so desperately wanted to see. Well, I think it actually has given his season a real kickstart as well, because like you say, he's just scraped inside the top 20s a couple of times. And then that first run, I think he was back in the 20s again, wasn't he, after the first run? And then, you know, another second run charge, which we kind of, I don't know, again, expecting of Dave like he did uh, 12 months before. It's, been, it's become his trademark now, isn't it? The, 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 the second run charge. We like, yeah. to do a first run yeah. charge. Yeah, we, we want the first run charge, Dave, and then the second run charge as well, just in case, just yeah, to exactly. back it up. I'm sure he's doing it for our Eurosport ratings to make sure that everybody sticks around for the second run, just to see what he can do. I just wish he had a little more confidence in himself, Yeah, is just to let it go a little bit, because it, we all know it's there. The rest of the world are scared of him as yeah. well. Pantero, Christofferson, all the big names in the slalom game know that he has yeah. the skills. It's just that something needs to, the penny needs to drop somewhere. And I hate to say this, but it's a psychological thing. No, I 100% agree. We spoke about it in the podcast I did with him right at the beginning of the year. And he talked about how his, his sort of awareness of what's going on around him in terms of the points and what that means for start lists and overall standing and stuff just gets in the way of what he's doing. Um, and he talked about how he thought he'd got on top of that. And I think, I, th- I think he had and at, the, at the beginning of the season with that, the scheme that he was doing in Levy, it looked like he was skiing without a care and he looked like he was taking the risk that he needs to take. But, um, and then obviously that didn't go that well mm-hmm. and then backed up by a couple of 
suboptimal results in the early part of the season. I think it's just mounted that pressure right back on top of him again. But did you do it when you were ski racing? Because I did. You'd start thinking about the points. I remember winning a fist race first run back in the 80s. And for the second run, I'm thinking, I've scored 15 points. That means I'm going to start here. And you, your brain starts making mathematical calculations when your brain should be just thinking about the skiing. Yeah, yeah. And I bullsed up loads of ski races by thinking too much about what was coming after it rather than staying in the moment right there. Well, well thankfully, I was doing speed, so I only had to do one run. <laughs> it was too late by the time I got to the bottom to do anything about it, whether for the bad or for the good. <laughs> I, think, I think we've all been there. Um, There's certainly a lot of people I used to race with who, after one run, would be, if I do that on the second run or if I've made the 30, yeah, trying to yeah. calculate their points before they're before they're even there yet and it's, you know if it, if it can happen to anyone racing at any level it's going to happen to the people right at the top they might be slightly better at putting things out of their mind um, to, to really reach the top of that mountain but you know the, the same things affect all of us so um, you know it was great to see Dave put in that kind of a performance on, on two runs uh, and hopefully build his confidence moving forwards yeah uh, and a guy that's high on confidence off the back of that and then which we'll talk about later on with uh, Adelboden is Daniel Yule who you know, we were talking about it again on comms that we're worrying that, you know, has he got the nerve? Has he got, I mean, we know that he's won, he's only won once before the win in Madonna, which was obviously the win the year before. But it was like, has he got the, you know, the, the head to stay in the game under all the pressure at Madonna, backing up the performance from a year ago in Madonna, looking at somebody who's had a smash in second round and going, is he got the nerve to hold it? And he absolutely, yeah, absolutely did. He did. I mean, I think that obviously to, a repeat win in a resort that you've taken top spot before happens all the time, quite regular. Athlete raises his game when he's done well there before. But to nail it in Adelboden on Sunday shows that he's got real balls. Yeah. And I was one of those... I mean, I'm, I think I'm a Daniel Yule critic because he should be in the British ski team, because yeah, we want not him. be in the Swiss ski <laughs> we team. We want him. So, and, and, I, and, and he speaks better English than the three of us around this table yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but he's not. He's a Swiss racer, and we all know the story why. His parents moved to Switzerland. He's gone through the Swiss system. And who wouldn't stay with Switzerland if that's where he's Oof. been since he's been a kid? Um, but I think he's made a big step forward. And now, from being an incredibly talented, smart young skier, he's now a man. He's in there with the big boys. And I think we need to be careful because when you get on a roll like that, uh, Daniel Yule will be finishing on the podium and have his eyes on the prize, the slalom crystal globe, yeah. before we know it. Well, Clement Noel got on that role last season, exactly. didn't he? And all of a sudden you're there aren't you so I think Daniel has gone from you know again like Dave that consistent guy that was in the top seven podiumed a few times but was really sort of four to ten he was always there always backing up week in week out and he's just flipped a switch and gone I'm now you know have the skill set and want to challenge for victories and all of a sudden he's doing it and it's uh, and with another race in Switzerland coming up yeah he could (laughs) A great part of the story from my side, I've got a couple of friends who work in, former sportsmen, rugby players who work in the banking industry, and they've sent me emails today and say how much to get him to come over the fence. How much do we have to pay Daniel Yule to come and ski for Britain? Too much. <laughs> you know, if we can get Guy, what's his name, to join the freestylers, 
then can yeah. we get Daniel to join us? And I don't know, maybe there's somebody listening to your podcast, Ed, that uh, has got a check to write, and Daniel Yule flies the bridge flag next year. Uh, there's a lot of zeros going to have to be on the end of that check. <laughs> <laughs> to, to pay for the uh, training camp that he'd need to bring with him as well. Oh. That would be, that'd be a fairly I mean, hefty be brilliant. check. I mean, imagine, imagine what those... I mean, that's the stuff we're hoping that happen with Dave, but imagine the, the type of legacy... That is leaving behind him yeah. in terms of you know the Swiss guys coming up, and if it was with with the Brits when when Dave does it, the legacy that hopefully he's going to leave behind in terms of. Do you think he thinks about it? Do you think Daniel Yule thinks my mum and dad are British? Mm. Well, my mum's English and my dad's Scottish. I don't. Actually. I think Kandahar keep chucking him emails left, right, and centre. Yeah. So I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that, that that's probably the sign off every time it cleaves is an email. Exactly. Again, <laughs> Well, just in, just in the off chance, yeah, fancy coming out. <laughs> yeah, I reckon that's one he's going to be batting around with for a long time. Maybe we could just kidnap him, take him. Yeah, <laughs> just take him. Don't come in Scotland. Don't, give, don't give Cleves Palmer ideas. <laughs> um, right, let's have a look at the women's racing in um, Altamark Zaukensee. It's one of my favourite downhills to watch normally when we run from the top, but we had a really tricky weather day on the Saturday um, and they had to lower the start, which obviously just means it's, I think it cut out like five or 600 vertical meters. And it just means that you, it's gone, it went from being one of the craziest sort of big jumps, big swooping turns, one of the hardest ones to slightly easier. I mean, it's still, it's so dark down there, mm. but it was, um, it was a cool race, but it wasn't what it should have been. No, you said on last week's podcast you enjoyed racing there and the, the contrast between the light and the dark is, is really hard to race in. Unfortunately, there was no light or dark for a lot of this race. <laughs> it was out. just, it was just watching it, I couldn't work out where anyone was. There were a couple of races I was slightly concerned that they didn't stop on the way down. A couple of people, it was very, very foggy for. They came into shot and it didn't look like they could see where they were going. Um, in fairness to the, to the racers... Only a couple of people appeared to show much about it in the finish area, like covering their goggles, saying they, they couldn't see where they're going. There were quite a few shoulder strokes, but no real like complaints. Like That was dangerous. I was shouting at the telly uh, and yeah. shouting at Fizz, saying, why, why is the race still on uh, a couple of times? But obviously, it's, it's quite hard when the top's clear and the bottom's clear. Yes, there are people in the middle, but once you pushed out of the gate, you don't know if anything's going to blow in along the way. No, it was tough, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's it's tough in many ways. You, you'd you know this, Ed, from, from your race background as well, is that um, Austria is like Liverpool FC in the Premier League right now. Austria is the powerhouse. And at the bottom of that racetrack, you've got a guy called Dr. Peter Schucksnadel, who's the boss of the Austrian Ski Federation, but other people like him to Don Corleone, the head of the mafia. He is an incredibly powerful man, nice guy, but an incredibly powerful man in the world of winter sports. I'll have to say it again in a minute. And Peter Gernot is the new race director for the women's tour, taking over from Atlas Scordown. He's under a lot of pressure. Um, I'm with Ben all the way. I don't think they should have held the race. I think they should have called it and, and got rid of it. Um, there's lots of history that goes with Altamont where there's been some crashes we don't need to go into, but it has got a, a pretty uh, nasty history that yeah. goes with it, or certainly a very sad history. One or two athletes have hurt themselves quite badly there. Yeah. Um, and I think that it wasn't a great day for ski racing. Peter was under a huge amount of pressure um, and with the mafios are at the bottom of the mountain yeah. looking up. I think that swayed the decision to keep the race going. If Atlas Cordell was still in the job, 
Ben, he'd have cancelled it. I promise you, and it would not have happened. Well, because he had this, because he's had, he's been there a long time. Absolutely, and it's a confidence thing. It's a huge thing for a race director to cancel a World Cup when you think of the costs that are involved, and it's live on Austrian TV in Austria with all the Austrians there. Uh, you know, every time they put the shutters or the covers over on Wimbledon, it has a massive yeah. financial yeah. knock-on effect, and it's the same for ski racing. Yeah. As, well, they've already lost. Yeah, exactly. The Valzer yeah, so weekend for for speed as well for the women. So there's a lot of pressure on there. Probably there was a lot of leaning on shoulders going on. Going, it's not too bad. I'm sure. You know, yeah, if we yeah. just wait ten minutes, it'll be I fine. Think, I think had it been had we not lost Valdezere, I think they would have been more inclined to cancel. But when you've already cancelled Valdezere and you're making that up in Bansko further down the winter, you cancelled. Zalkenze downhill yeah. then all of a sudden you've got another downhill to try and fill and you've got another um, organising local organising committee trying to come up with how much it's thousands isn't it millions yeah I mean, it's uh, big money big money to yes. hold a World Cup so all of a sudden you're you know you're scratching your heads of, of not losing a race uh, I was actually quite surprised that the Austrians weren't a little bit more vocal in calling a cancel yeah. because the Austrians were nowhere to be seen first Austrian wrong, yeah. down in ninth uh, one and a half seconds off the pace. Austria, in their own backyard, like you say, atomics factory down the road, uh, <laughs> and to and to be nowhere near. I, I kind of I said to Ben, who messaged me when it was happening. I was just like, yeah, the Austrians definitely going to be calling for it for it to come off. Yeah, and to touch on Ben's point, I don't think a lot of the athletes were complaining because Schifrin wasn't at the party. Michaela Schifrin opted to train. She was, she was taking the combined and the tech races that are coming up for the win, which I know we're going to touch on uh, very seriously. So a lot of the athletes saw it as an opportunity to try and claw some of those 260-odd points that she's ahead in the overall standings. And credit where it was due. Again, I'm totally with Ben all the way. It was a shitty race. Question mark whether it should have gone ahead. But Corinne Souter, for me, winning her first World Cup race, as we all know, was the bravest of the brave. She was committed, she took risks, she looked for speed in areas of the race stack where others were a little reserved, some looked even frightened, yeah. and you can't blame them. No. Um, and I think, uh, and as you quite rightly say, rubbing salt into the wound of the Austrians, yeah. Corinne Suter on head skis rather than atomics <laughs> uh, takes the victory. What was a bit of a topsy-turvy day actually had a happy finish and a good ending. Yeah, it's always nice to see somebody pick up their first win. And it's, uh, I think actually, looking back on it, thank Thankfully, only in hindsight, there were no, you know, no major injuries. So all of a sudden, you you can kind of go, ah, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't great, but they got away with it. And I think, you know, for the for the downhill women's tour, you know, we have got another race underway. It's kept the kept it super open in yeah. terms of taking <laughs> globes and all that sort of stuff. So Corinne Suter took the lead, took the win. Nicole Delago getting second, and Michelle Gissin picking up third, becoming a real force in the all rounder again. Yeah, they're all looking for points on Schifrin. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I was a little bit surprised to see Schifrin not race. Because she went so well in the downhills in Lake Louise as well. That's yeah. the surprise for me. I think It's funny, isn't it? Now all of a sudden you're like, well, Schifrin should be racing everything because she can win in everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the, the Americans don't seem to have, to have the same approach. I'm not going to complain, Ed, uh, because... You know, and you won't say it, but <laughs> no, my not pick for that race that, was Corinne that, Suter. Gonna, oh, <laughs> that, I'm going to cut that bit out. That's <laughs> well done. You don't want to hear what she was at the bookies then for a win on... Oh, was it Was it long? It was, it was long. long. I used 12 to 1 for a win. <laughs> based on the rest of my picks, that would be a poor investment. <laughs> I'd be a lot further down by now based on my other picks up to this point. But, but it, was, um, it, was interesting. it was an interesting day. Uh, and then it moved on to the Alpine Combined the following day, and the weather looked as you would hope. It was beautiful mm. s- sunshine. It was 
crisp, cold conditions, looked fantastic. Um, we had some amazing performances in the speed legs. Um, Brianoni took the took the lead on the super G leg of the Alpine combined and absolutely smashed it. She was skiing so well in the speed leg. Um, the only thing is that we talked about it before and how the, the change of um, second leg by Fizz, how they've changed the start order for the second run has had an effect. And we were talking about it on the pod as well as on, on, the, on Eurosport. We were saying how we think it's a good idea and we enjoyed how it had a good effect in terms of bringing the speed skiers into the slalom legs for the men but for the women it didn't really work that well it didn't quite catch fire um as a spectacle to watch um on the second run but i think a lot of that is because there weren't really many slalom specialists competing which meant you didn't have someone that was a long way back on the slalom leg gonna like try and catch the speed skiers with a slightly more rutted course um there wasn't a Sven Larsen there wasn't a Nina Harva Loseth it was just pure all-rounders and some speed specialists racing so it didn't quite have the same effect it was still great racing it just meant that the podium was decided not long after the start of the second run which I've seen on Twitter some complaints about but I'm definitely willing to give this format a lot more of a chance because it very much had become slalom specialists you know, yeah. roll up and, and yeah. win with considerable ease. Yeah, I think also as well, what was a shame for the race organisers is that Michaela Schifrin and Petra Vlahova uh, both crashed out in that yeah. Super G leg. Vlahova, a binding release, that's every ski racer's nightmare, yeah. as we all know. And Schifrin, I thought she didn't look as confident as she should because she hadn't done any downhill training like all the others uh, in the build-up to the weekend's action. Yeah, I think Schifrin um, had a late start number as well, didn't she? So I wonder if that yeah. played on her mind because we saw a few DNS. We saw, I think it was about three or four yeah. binding pre-releases. So I wonder whether it was, ju- you know, that just puts the fear into you a little bit. It's dark, as we've talked about, you know, the dark to light, to, you know, that racetrack is tough. So all of a sudden you're seeing a load of DNFs and it's really easy to... To, to not risk everything. And whether we like it or not, Petra and Michaela are the stars of the women's show. Uh, they are the big names in the tour. They're the ones that you watch. And as Ben was pointing out, if Michaela had been one and a half seconds down after the speed leg and was starting number 22, yeah. all of a sudden you've got a sexy race on your hands. Yeah. But because Michaela was out, Petra was out, uh, it almost, for me, being known it, knew she'd won it before she'd even got to that slalom yeah. leg. I mean, she knew she'd got it in the bag with those two out of the way. So I think the women's game just needs to be a little bit careful um, because Petra and Michaela are the big names and the big names that all the European fans yeah. uh, and North America, of course, watch very carefully. Yeah, it's just a shame that they don't quite have that the depth to win from anywhere yet mm, on yet. the women's tour. Yeah. I mean, I, I really hope that, they, that it comes and Schifrin and Vlahova are really... You know the torches; they're the guiding lights yeah. of it all, and they're and they're dragging, they're dragging the form out of female skiers everywhere. I mean, the likes of Wendy Holdner, Brignoni, uh, Marta Pacino uh, that we saw—they they are coming along and definitely starting to push uh, those those two ladies. Uh, what was really surprising was just how many DNFs there were. Nick mentioned there were quite a few people who who, who skied crashed off, but there were. I think 16 DNFs in total mm. uh, in that Super G, which goes to show just how tough that hill is. Yep. Mm. Um, Ed, you mentioned it was it's you know it's bumpy, it's icy. There's a lot of contrast, but there are a couple of turns in particular particular that people are really struggling with, and it's good to see that much of a challenge. Obviously, you don't want it to be dangerous, but 
sometimes in combined you get a relatively easy downhill followed by a relatively easy slalom but it was yeah. good that the super g was actually a real challenge for those people but in in some of those dnfs were some of the speed specialists you wouldn't expect the the likes of ravensburg Goggia and Stuhetch to come out of a Super G and all three of them did and I was kind of sitting there wondering oh, is there going to be anyone left to race in the yeah. slalom and you got two Olympic gold medalists in your list there Ben so you're absolutely right and Schifrin hasn't crashed for two years her last DNF was in January 2018 some stat isn't it so that's how hard it's hit her and the North American journalist picked up on it immediately you know she got some not tough press but uh, uh, she wasn't the golden girl this weekend in the North American media. It's, it's a bit strange because they mentioned on the commentary that she opted out of the downhill training runs and the downhill so she could specifically train Super G. But I would have thought it would have been more valuable training downhill on that hill with the Super G in mind. Obviously, I'm not going to second guess the, probably the yeah. soon-to-be greatest women's or greatest ski racer of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it did seem a bit of a strange one considering the hill is quite that a challenge yeah, yeah absolutely I think you know I don't think there's many coaches that would have picked it like they like yeah. they did but I think I mean they don't often get it wrong do they let's be fair but I think I mean I think you're right Ben I think that's a, a bit yeah. of a shock for me I think hill skiing on the race hill is super important but when it's as tough as, and gnarly as Altamark can be and was I think you take every single second, every and, single turn. And it's not just ski racing, is it? It's motorsport. Everybody, whether it's a motorbike or a four-wheel car, track time is king. Yeah. So for Jeff Lackey and Mike Day, the two main coaches for Michaela Schiffrin, I'm with Ben. I'm not sure they made the right decision. Then. No, no, they don't get many calls wrong, but I think that was... Uh, hindsight, again, lovely thing, but I think they probably would have spent a bit more time on track. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and so the women had a... A good weekend. I think a shame about the weather on the Saturday, but the men had an absolute belter. Some of the most exciting skiing I can remember on TV. It never fails, does it, Adelboden? And as we talked about in our live TV show, uh, there's a gentleman from the local organising committee who's the chief of race called Hans Pieren. He's a racer from the 80s. Um, and uh, but he is a classic Swiss farmer, you know. He's sort of his one finger is the size as your forearm, and this guy can <laughs> mend a tractor in two minutes flat. And he's got just by but, looking at it. But his piece preparation skills are truly phenomenal. He's worked for the he's worked for the FIS. He's worked at Olympic Games, World Championships, in making sure that people's pieces are in the best condition. And as we all know, these mild weather conditions across the Alps have been making piece prep a little bit of a nightmare for the for the World Cup organising committees. And what Hans Pieren gave us was a track that tested the world's best in giant slalom and slalom. And of course, dropping into that cauldron with the big pitch is just sensational to watch. Put it all into the melting pot, and wow, best World Cup weekend of the season so far. With some cr with some crazy Swiss having had a few too many drinks oh. by uh, nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we said we said on the podcast last week that there's two walls to contend with. There's the one you're skiing down, and the wall of noise coming back at yeah, you. Absolutely. And it certainly, just from watching it on telly, seemed like it. I think that's one of the races that if you go to World Cup, that's one of the ones that you would definitely want to experience live. I um, had a message from, from a girl that uh, who used to ski race, at, um, and she was there with a group of her friends, and she sent me a video, which I'll show you guys after, uh, that of 
the moment Daniel Yule came across the finish line and won, and she's sitting in the grandstand, and it's kicking off. The yeah. the phone is bouncing around as she's bouncing around, as the stands are bouncing around, and you can and you can feel it, goosebumps, head to toe, listening to the the Swiss go absolutely mental. But you're right, Nick. The piece prep was awesome. absolutely second to none, and it gave us probably the fairest mm. World Cup that I can remember in terms of your opportunity was as good at number one as it was at 70. That was backed up by um, the Italian, I can't remember the Italian's name. Giovanni Borsotti. From bib 53 into second, four hundredths behind Diali Prandini, who went down bib about 17. Uh, you know, it was an absolutely fantastic race. And I think, um, if I did a little bit of research with a bit of help uh, from uh, SkiDB, and, they were, and it was the closest World Cup from 1st to 30th in uh, in in the last twenty years, and it was one point four three. One point four three. You literally. I mean, we talk about it, and it's a bit of a cliche, but there's no, there is no room for error. No. Not one mistake can you make, oh. and, and expect to be in there for a second run. Now, it's, it's insane. It really is. The, the, the Kunis Bagli racetrack is again another one of those classics. It's been on the calendar since the eighties. Um, but it's a little bit like the slalom piste in Kitsville. It's got everything that you need to test. It rolls, it falls away, it sort of lures you in with a nice flat section where you think you're really going at it, and then it gives you the steepest finish that we have on the World Cup Tour. And the way, and of course, what that means to the athletes, it just revs them up. Yeah, they come on, let me have it. You know, they're like boxers, they're like yeah. UFC fighters. They want to give that yeah. mountain a real belting. And um, and and what it gives us is sensational ski race and uh, an amazing battle on the second leg. And uh, Slovenian comes out on top. I know, I was really very pleased. good. Race. Apart from that, wasn't that your pick as well? Yes, that's two that weekend I got in. After like none for a year, I got two in the same week. Yeah, yeah I did see that. I did see that. So Jan Kranjek took the win. Philip Zubcic, surprise second place from Croatia. And Victor Mufajonde picking up joint third with Henrik Kristofsson. And I feel like Victor Mufajonde's performance is almost a bigger surprise as Zubcic because he's just not been, he's not been that high up you know that much of a key player for quite a while so I was, I was really impressed that he's able to keep the hunger keep the fight and keep the drive to to get better and start dominating runs I mean he's still third but you know in terms of all of a sudden he's gone from there or thereabouts top 10 skier to going I'm going to stick this on the podium yeah that that track seems to suit Mufajonde quite well he skied quite well on the, on the Sunday in the slalom but he's just got a very different style to a lot of the other people there's a lot of giant men uh, racing GS and slalom these days and especially down that last pitch there's a lot of power involved and he just seemed to take the approach because he's a slightly smaller guy of just like hitting the edges and just getting straight off them so it didn't look like he was struggling anywhere near as much it seems like some people are wrestling their way down that final pitch um, whereas he just kind of glides down it and it really made I think both runs I'd be interested to see his like effectively that last pitch is split alone his would have been right up there on, on, on both days um, yeah, it was brilliant skiing. I mean, you had to just give your heart out for uh, uh, the Italians because they looked like they oh, had yeah. the race like completely won. They had like was it three of the top four or something after the first run, Very or good. three in the top five, and um, 
ended up with no one on the podium. It's ridiculous. I think that's the beautiful part, as Ed says, when you've got 1.43 separating from 1st to 30th position. It's anybody's game. And it's he who can and hold his cool. If you ever see Victor Moffajonde, he's tiny. He's about five foot five. You know, he looks like Prince. Um, and he's light. And, um, and he'd be the first person sitting around this table to know that he's got to come with a different game plan and his approach to um, Zenhoisen or Dominic Paris or any of these guys who, as you quite rightly say, six foot four and look like light heavyweight boxers. They don't look like skiers. And the young kids are coming through. Clement Noel, super tool. Vinatza, he is another one that looks like Marvin Hagler. Doesn't look like a ski racer. Yeah. Um, and so I think that Mufajonde was exceptional. I'm with Ben all the way. What a shame for Luca and uh, Giovanni yeah. doing all that work on the first run. But that's the nature of the beast on that tricky race yeah. beast. And uh, I'm delighted for Jan Kranjets because obviously he's been consistent. So that shows the World Cup form is holding its own. And also for Filip Zubcic, um, we talk about his coach, Ivica Kostelic, um, and the Kostelic uh, sort of. Mafia or dynasty, uh, dynasty <laughs> yeah, whatever way you want to call it. But I'm so pleased for Ivica, who's working so hard with that group of very promising young Croatians. And that was the first podium since Ivica has taken the lead. Well, he won there in 2011, the slalom. Yeah. And to have his young lad on the podium at the weekend, I think, was quite special. He lives and breathes it, doesn't he? You he can does. see the camera cuts to him whenever there's a Croatian on TV. The, the directors are very good at finding him wherever he's standing. And he lives and breathes it. He yeah. looks like he's, you know, he's skiing with them. His face doesn't hold anything back he you know, tells him tells us exactly what he's thinking yeah. uh, and he was gutted obviously with the performance from Croatia, from um, Zagreb yeah. and you could see that in his face uh, and then again you could just see that elation when it's when you've he would have sunk some serious as all coaches do but sunk some serious hours into these athletes uh, and and to sort of pay off at one of the iconic races I think it's it's brilliant, and the, we had so many results, so many guys skiing from outside the thirty with big bib numbers coming in. Uh, Roland Lightinger from Austria, flying the flag for Austria. We'll yeah, it was a bit of data, that, wasn't, wasn't it? it? Yeah. Uh, in sixth, um, Solheim, Fabian Solheim from Norway, bib thirty-seven into ninth. You know, we were happy. Borsotti ended up fourteenth from bib fifty-three, fifty-seven. Matthias Rengen from uh, Sweden into the thirty. So, you know, we had an awesome race. We've we've seen vic- victories come from further down the second runs, um, but generally that down tends to be about the weather, doesn't it? When, when uh, the Swiss Swiss won it from thirty, Berto Berto won it from Bib thirty. Swiss that was winner, yeah. that was weather, wasn't it? It was yeah. a weather day, so he had great weather at the start. Yeah. Took advantage of it and took the win. Today it was nothing about the weather. Sensational giant slalom, really. And it shows that giant slalom is the core of all ski technique. It's where all youngsters start. And it's so good to see that good old giant slalom is an absolute rip-roaring race to watch. The crowd absolutely loved it. And a bit of Charlie Raposo. I was going to say, the crowd loved a bit of Charlie Raposo. uh, (laughs) Milking the crowd after he got back up. (laughs) It was a a nasty crash. You see, it was on the player, it wasn't on the... uh, cut away from live at that point but it was it was um, a decent crash he, to be fair on the last split yeah. uh, even after the end of the race because he obviously went down in the 40s I think and it was 70s yeah. starting so once everybody had come down he was 30th place on the penultimate split so you know skiing well and knocking on the door and I really hope it's it's going to come it looks like it's coming the form we saw in brief glimpses last season 
is is still there and I think he's backed up again he was lucky to get away with that crash actually on that little road that lots of people were getting kicked out of he just caught just came a cropper big crash lucky to get away with anything slammed into those air nets pretty hard at the bottom came up with a giant great big hole uh, towards his groin region uh, and I think he got away with one there he talks about it afterwards he was fine he was just a bit gutted that obviously he's uh, uh, didn't yeah, I was watching. Finish properly. Yeah, I was watching his run on the Eurosport player, and he looked, he was skiing really well, a lot more confident than I've seen on some of his previous uh, World Cup outings. You know, when you see these results pop up from uh, Europa Cup, it looks like he's got the confidence, but you yeah. don't always see it translated in into the World Cup. So it was really good to see him that confident and be right on that on the edge. Obviously, you don't want to see him crashing, but it was good that he had that intensity the whole way down where other people were fading he was still there right at the end it was only really that that bump and it did catch a lot of people out but it didn't really look like there was a way you could compress it it just looked like you had to just go through the air and just hang on for the last two turns now i totally agree with ben i think if charlie's tuning into this podcast charlie stick with it it's only a matter of time before he qualifies and once you've qualified two or three times as we've seen with dave it all then starts to fall into shape and you, you follow the pathway quite quickly. And I think that Charlie Raposo is so close to qualifying in the top 30 for the second round. He just needs to dig a little deeper and keep the focus. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little frustrating in terms of the programme now because there's not another GS for quite a, while. <clears throat> quite a while. So, you know, it's built up a bit of momentum, skied well. You, you know, Charlie will be there going, let's have another one tomorrow, you know, yeah. let's have another one coming up. But he's got a little bit of time to wait, a bit of more training time uh, uh, which the slalom guys have absolutely no training time. Um, so they finished racing on Sunday to what was a monumentous occasion for Swiss skiing. Daniel Yule took the win. Christofferson in second with a great second round charge. And Marco Schwartz picking up third. I'm so pleased that that man is back on the podium. And I'm hoping that that is a big boost to the Austrian ski team and a big boost to... It doesn't seem right that there's no Austrians there. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, as we said in our live show with Eurosporter, you know, they miss Marcel Hirscher. You know, Oof, I mean, you know, are. he's done the double for the past two years, giant slalom and slalom. The Swiss still came in their tens of thousands, even when Marcel Hirscher was doing the double. The pressure on the Austrian athletes is phenomenal. As we discuss on the TV on many occasions, it's their national sport in Austria. Uh, their skiers are like our soccer players. Uh, Marco Schwartz is probably like David Beckham to the people in his uh, valley and village. Um, and uh, for Marco to come back um, after that injury from the end of last season is quite exceptional. For me, most importantly, the Austrian media finally have something good to report on. If you can imagine having Marcel Hirscher having won the overall for the eight years, they've been on the biggest glory trail that anybody can remember. Um, it's all over. And at first they don't mind, but then it starts to get a little sore. And so I think Marco Schwartz uh, did exceptionally well because I know for a fact those guys are getting some pretty ugly media on a daily basis. A lot of criticism on social media. And no matter how tough you are, it starts to get you down. You start to get pissed off with being knocked all the time. Um, And I think uh, Blackie, as they call him, Marco Schwartz, will hopefully lift the spirits of the other skiers from the Austrian men's team and we'll see more of what we saw. Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking to Marcel Mattis again from the pod and he was, and I was just asking if what his take on it is because obviously being an Austrian, he used to be a World Cup Austrian ski racer, what it's like. Um, and he said, yeah, they've been, like you say, they're getting an absolute hammering and, and it's sort of not on. And I asked him, do you, did he think that 
the Austrian ski team, the Austrian Ski Federation, dropped the ball in terms of, you know, they've rested on Marcel to bring the results and just went, you know what, we're doing a great job patting us, where they pat themselves on the back going, this is brilliant, we're creating a brilliant program, you know, winning week in, week out uh, and just rested on their laurels a little bit. I think it's a possibility, um, but I think in, in other sports, when you have someone that dominant, sometimes you do then skip a sporting generation because they've almost kept the other people down with their brilliance. It sounds a bit ridiculous. You think it brings everyone up, but those people have never quite been able to get to that Shame, level because yeah. that one person is in the way. But with the Austrian racers, I think you also don't realise quite how much Hersher would have helped the likes of Schwartz and fella in terms of just taking all of the media so they could just go about their daily lives and their and their racing careers so Schwartz be a bonus. last year was winning world cup races still in the shadow of Hersher and he would have got some press the day he won but the week later all of the cameras are still on Hersher whereas now there's no one to point them at fella Matt Schwartz every week it's like why are you guys winning at least give us some give us a podium give us something yeah. and you know Good obviously point. with fella being injured Everyone's just gone, right, Schwartz, apparently you're fit, even though he looks like he's still getting there. They're like, well, you said you're fit, let's go. Let's have some podiums. Well, and he's, he's got one. Um, and now they're going to be like, okay, now you've got a third, let's have a win. Yeah. Um, I feel so sorry for them. It's like missing the penalty in the European Cup Championship yeah. every weekend if they don't score. I mean, the Austrian press are are brutal, but I guess we are with our soccer players. So. Yeah, yeah. nobody like gets like. an easy ride, to that, especially with social media hammering you. Everyone's got an opinion. Um, but the the weekend was definitely for the Swiss and the slalom even more so. Again, after the first run, was it four out of the top five yep. were Swiss? Um, and it looked like we almost might not get a Swiss victor because um, Christofferson put down a belting second run, was kept the lead. One Swiss came down crashed next Swiss guy came down was down you know seventh or eighth and then all of a sudden it was like all the pressure yet again on Daniel Yule's shoulders to keep 20,000 people happy in the finish area if you thought the pressure on on uh, Madonna was big on his shoulders then doing it in front of a home crowd would have been 10 times that on Sunday and I think that's what makes it so special and makes it so impressive for him. It's a, as we said right at the beginning of this chat, it's, it's his big breakthrough. It's his big step forward. Winning in front of your home crowd and one of the most famous tech slopes that exist in Switzerland uh, on that day as they've been coming under a little bit of pressure before Madonna to uh, deliver winning first runs but not actually seeing it through yeah. um, like uh, Zen Huizen. Um, so I think for Daniel Yule, that's the big breakthrough for him. A 13-year drought is always a great stat to hang your hat on. And um, credit where it's due. He's hard-working. He's a grafter. And uh, and that hard work has, has paid dividends. There's been highs and lows for Daniel, especially people like me saying he should race for Great Britain every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that he's shown his true colours. And from being a very talented young man, he's, uh, he's a grown-up now. I think he sort of flies a little bit under the radar because it, it's not the most... Exciting is probably not the right word, but it's not the... You know, visually, he's not chucking stuff everywhere. He's not making huge mistakes and, and battling back or being the most dynamic skier. But he's, it's just that subtlety of movement. Nice. Yeah. It's just that effortless transition. We talked about how Christofferson has that lovely touch on his skis, and, and Daniel Yule's got that in spades as well. Uh, and I think, uh, are, you, are you about to talk about Christofferson's kicking off after uh, the first round? That is exactly what I was going to ask you about. Because I, 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 I know, I know you enjoy his Finnish area antics. I was going <laughs> to ask what you made of those after the first run. Uh, I, I, we talked about it, didn't we, Nick? Uh, and in between runs, and I think it's 
I don't know. I'm, I guess maybe I'm getting used to it. It, just, it winds me up a bit because everybody's trying hard. You don't need to put on a show. I, I feel like it's. I feel like it's for other people. But he does ski well under pressure. We talked about it again. How yeah. he's seems to get fired up, and he's now. You know, we talked about Dave with the second run charges. Christopherson's second run charges are yeah. second to none at the moment. So uh, he's put he's puts himself under pressure and is delivering. It winds me up a bit, but I feel like it's it's maybe how he gets his best performance. It was interesting. I wrote in my note that massive hissy fit. He did oh, that, was, that, was, that was the notes I made on his first <laughs> run. But watching it. It wasn't like he made any huge mistakes. It just wasn't quite there. So I was, I was struggling to see what he was quite so mad about. If you make a massive error and Kicking you're in 10th place or, yeah. or you've definitely picked the wrong skis of the five sets your technician's got for you, you can be really annoyed. But it didn't really look like that much went wrong. Yet He was absolutely raging, went straight out of the back of the finish area and then just was, was throwing a strop out the back. But... You know, I think you guys must have talked about it before. I think at the beginning of the season, he included a lot of us expected to just basically follow on where when Hersher was gone. Mm. He thought, I believe, he thinks he'd be, and his team thought he'd be in a much stronger position right oh, yeah, now yeah, with regards to his points, his results, and his standing in the tour. All of a sudden, he's feeling the heat from downhillers and GS skiers and people that he never expected to be pushing him along. Um, I think also as well there's another lovely little, I'm not sure how true it is, but there's a good rumour going around that he wants to do a lot of the things that Hirscher did. And Hirscher would be one of those guys who'd say, 10 pairs of skis at the top, and he'd go, nah, I, don't, I need pair number seven for the second run, not pair number five. And he'd often discuss this with his dad, Ferdinand, at length. And so Henrik has started doing the same thing. Five pairs of skis at the top, I want to change my setup from run to run. Some skiers can do it and do it very easily. And there are a lot of skiers out there that actually can't do it. Yeah. They need to have four or five training runs on that set of skis. They need to feel where the tip and tail is sharp or not so sharp. And they need to be fully aware. Hirscher was one of those lucky little buggers that he was <laughs> that could just literally yeah. take Plucking five up. different skis and tell you the difference between five like that. And I'm not sure Christofferson's as good at changing his setup at short notice as he thinks he is. That's my theory and quite a few other people's on the tour. I think it's a really good point that you make about how Christofferson, he was expected externally as well as him, him, his own expectations mm. of being, you know, the dominating force in World Cup skiing that he isn't at the moment. So maybe that pressure's yeah, put on himself and all of a sudden, yeah, he's struggling with and maybe that's why he's getting extra fired up. I mean, he did a lot of hissy fits when Hirscher had beaten by a hundredth after after Christophers had the run of his life, and Christoph and uh, Marcel comes down and and still wins. And I think that was the frustration then. But maybe you're right. Maybe this this is a slightly different frustration of going. Well, Hirscher's not even here anymore. Mm. This is supposed to be my time, and you lot are ruining it. <laughs> it doesn't look like that on the telly. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll touch quickly on Dave. I know we spoke about it slightly already. Uh, a frustrating weekend for or day of the Sunday. A frustrating race for him. I spoke to him earlier earlier today. Um, he's he's gutted. He really is. Um, he said both runs he skied awful down the steep. He said he was he was rubbish, and he said he was super frustrated because again, if you look at the splits, skied very very well on that opening part, dealing with all the undulations. We know he likes the flat. We know he likes it when it's icy. We know he's got that sort of skill set. And then he came over onto the steep and it was just, 
it was like he was skiing in, in treacle. He just wasn't able to get off the edges. He was skiing a bit too round. And he and he holds his hands up and he's super frustrated by it. Uh, and I feel for him because, you know, Dave is, there is now an expectation, like it or not, Dave has an expectation now where he is, you know, a top 10's an okay day. You know, it's, you know, it's not even yeah. a great day like it used to be. It's now only an okay day if he's in the top 10. So, so being in the twenties isn't isn't a lot of the slalom coaches. Um, the, the new terminology that they use, something that Michaela Schifrin does a lot, is the coaches use terminologies like "trust what you see, look, and trust in yourself yeah. that you have the skills to absolutely achieve what you see." And Dave, I think, has just got just a little bit of fine tuning, and it's only a little bit. Yeah. But he's just got to, when he sees that steep and he sees Adapt that big it. offset, is trust, trust himself no, trust, yeah. psychologically that he has the Back skills. Back himself. And, and, and don't question it, just trust. Just look and ski what you see. And I think once he's got over that little bit of fine-tuning and hiccup, We'll have him back on the podium, and it and it and it'll all be there. It's 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 minor detail, not major for Dave. Yeah. And what I say is, down Adelbode, and it's it's not just Dave. That steep gets in a lot of people's heads, and it just it just seemed a little bit like he was a bit like we said in, in comparison to Victor Mufajon that he, a lot of the people appear to be wrestling with the steep, thinking I have to just really press hard on this edge now, and then before you know it, you've been standing on it for a second, and you should have got off it already. Um, and again, Victor Mufajonde had a, had a had a great second run, yeah, beautiful much. down the steeps. Again, I think because he probably has that confidence in knowing that because he's not as big as the other guys, power won't get him out of it. So he knows he just yeah. needs to get True. the perfect touch on the edge and then straight off. And, and you know, we've seen Dave do that on steeps before. We know he can do it. Might not be his most preferred uh, pitch to ski down, but. He, we know he can do it, so you know he's got an, he's got another try next weekend. So plus side of there being non-stop slaloms, exactly. straight back into yes, it, exactly straight back on the horse, and and that does lead us nicely into this coming weekend's action. We have the women uh, racing GS on Saturday and GS Parallel on the Sunday. Uh, Nick, what are your expectations for this coming weekend in Sestria? Well, well, I know Ben's picking all the winners, but I think I've got a few now for this weekend. It's tough to bet against him, I know. Um, He's on a hot streak. But, um, you know, we've, we've not been critical, but we've been questioning some of the decisions from Team Schifrin. Um, she's going to win the lot this weekend. She will win everything hands down. She's got something to prove now. She's a little pissed off. Um, maybe they've all sat down around the table like we are right now and they've said, okay, we could have done that a little bit differently. Yeah. Maybe next time we'll tune that. I think her mum, Eileen, is a very, very clever coach and diplomat within the team. And I think Eileen's going to say, okay, but having known Schifrin since she first came to the World Cup Tour at 15 years of age, uh, she's going to have the bit between her teeth and it's going to take something special to stop her winning everything on the women's tour this weekend. Uh, yeah, I think she's going to be a tricky lady to look past, especially having been, like you say, a little bit uh, miffed at that performance in the Super G and losing what, you know, whenever she puts on a on a racing bib, she's she's up there for some points, but throwing away some decent points. Uh, she's going to be unstoppable this season anyway, so I'm sure it'll come good, like you say. But it's going to be a, a great weekend, Ben. Um, do you are you on are you in the Schifrin camp as well? I think she'll be, she'll definitely be tough to beat this week, and you know my record with picks is 
for women's GS. It's, it's, Tessa Worley. It's always Tessa, but she's, <laughs> she's out for the season. Um, she had a knee injury, um, I think ACL as well, a lot of those uh, yeah, this season. Few, obviously, very, very recently, haven't we? Very, very common for, for races anyway, but I'm a little bit worried, because, you know, as far as the, the women's scene goes, T- Tessa's one of the elder states women. Um, not many races in, in the women's game go on as, as long as Tessa has, so similarly to what we were talking about with, with the... Uh, uh, some of the men's injuries possibly being the end of their career. Um, that's that's a scary possibility for Tessa. I hope it's not because I'll have to put more thought into my picks moving <laughs> forward. But um, I'd put down uh, Bassino for this one just because we we try not to pick you. Yeah, we, we, let's let's um, yeah, we'll challenge you, Nick, with who you think's going to be third place. Because yeah, I think we're both we're, we're all in agreement that Schifrin's almost unstoppable. Vlahova is the only person that's likely going to be pushing her close and so sort of who, who do you think is going to yeah I, I think I think the, the Italian women's team is a good strong team oh, um, they're all bouncing and, some results. Um, and so as, as you quite rightly say they're pushing each other it must be a great camp to be training in right Absolutely. now when there's only one of half a dozen of them that can do the business the Delago sisters or medal with GS a little bit of speed Brinone messing with speed but really she's a GS skier um, so you, the Italians will push Ben's got a good pick there with Marta Bassino yeah. I love Marta because she lives in the Piemont uh, where some of the best Italian red wine comes from <laughs> her dad makes some of the best Barolo in the in their valley um, so Marta Bassino she's a lovely young skier um, it is very sad about Tess it's been a tough week for the French team because Adrien Teo picked Dennis up an as ACL well. as well and, uh, and, and, and Ben makes a very tough point really 37 years of age you get an ACL are you going to come back Mould picked up an injury yeah. in the Men's GS at the weekend in Adelboden again 37 36 Reichelt years of age well. Hannes Reichelt 38 9 years of age um, these are very tough times in an athlete's career to pick up those sort of major injuries which take a huge amount of rehab and comeback and I just keep my fingers crossed that Ben's sitting here next year picking Tess Worley for the again. GS and she doesn't go away because she's such a golden girl and such a you know a ray of light for the Women's World Cup Tour. And uh, she skis beautifully, so I think to lose that sort of style of skiing would be a bit of a shame. Um, I am going to say, I'm going to go Austrian uh, and I'm going to go Leonsberger to take the final step on the uh, on the podium. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to, I'm going to say that for both days. Because I think that she is she is on a good run of form, and we talked about it earlier on in the winter, obviously with the the Kessley ski debacle that we've talked about at length previously, and now she's had some months on Rosie skis rather than a few days as it was at the beginning of the season, and she's starting to come mm. to come really good. So maybe she's going to be the the lady to do the business for me. Um, I did actually want to ask you, Nick. We talked about um, slightly slightly left field but we talked about uh, Andre Murrah mm-hmm. at the weekend and how he's now talking about how, this being his last season um, he did he spoke about that la- he spoke about it being his last season last season <laughs> um, but I think this season it sounds like it's a little bit more um, serious I don't definite. know definite yes yeah, that's a better word thank you but this season is one of those sort of it's a nothing season, isn't it? There's no major champs. So, you know, this is the season where you kind of go, you, you, this is your sort of chilled season in terms of your cycles of, of stuff yeah. with the Olympic Games and the World Champs. Do you think he's going to still be able to say, do you know, after skiing so well, I mean, I know he didn't go great 
in in Adelboden, but he's skiing some of the best he's skied for a long time. Do you think he's going to be able to? T- t- it's a very good point that you make, and you know him as well as we all do. He's a very quiet man, a wonderful guitar player, plays rock guitar like Led Zeppelin. I mean, he's sharp. But like all of the guys, many of the guys and ladies on the tour, he's recently married. He's got two young kids. They travel in a, in a big RV. Uh, big motorhome around the World Cup Tour so he can enjoy his kids whilst they're young and still be on the World Cup Tour. So all of that's playing in the back of his mind. But you make a very, very valid point because if he does come out in the top three in the world slalom rankings, his sponsors are going to say, hang on a minute, there's one hell of a world championships coming in 2021 called Cortina D'Ampezzo. Do the business in Cortina and then there's an Olympics in Beijing and he'd be the defending Olympic slalom champion. So it it wouldn't surprise me if he changed his mind at the end of the season or his manager and bank manager said he'd be an idiot to stop right now because I think... The way he's got his life, he doesn't hang out with the Swedish team much anymore, does his own thing, got his wife and children on tour. He's the most relaxed slalom skier that's out on the mountain come game day. Yeah. And that's why I think we're getting the best out of him again. Yeah, and I th- I just wonder, because you know, at the end of this season, when he's supposed to be hanging up his boots, <laughs> it's then less than a year to Cortina, and it's less than two years, 18 months almost, to the Olympic Games. Yeah, I'd say if he was... 10 to 15th in the standings at the end of the it's season for Slalom, he, he would say, okay, cool, that's fine. But the fact that he's he's there and everyone's kind of tripping over each other trying to get to Marcel's step, yeah, he, he appears to have found himself like right up there in the mix. He didn't have a brilliant weekend this weekend, but I think his first run was still pretty solid. It was just the second run, he let it go on a bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you know, put, put yourself in his shoes, if you finish in the top three of the standings at the end of a World Cup tour, you'd be like, well, there's no point stopping now. It, it also may not be his choice. Maybe, you know, the, the, the wife can be quite a powerful like, voice, no can't she? So, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that that one's... I'm let you talk about that, Ed. you be in trouble. Just, just for all the listeners, we're all nodding, saying nothing. <laughs> um, okay, let's get back, let's get back to the, the this coming weekend's action. So the men... Are, Hold on, I didn't do the, oh. the pick. You didn't do a pick for the uh, parallel. Oh, we I went. Ba- I went double. I went, oh, you, oh, oh sorry, you did. Sorry, you did. I, went, I just assumed. Did, are you are you picking some? No, else I wasn't. Pursuing, I, I wanted to go for Robinson in the parallel, just because it's parallel GS. She's quite young. She's probably done a little bit more parallel racing. I just figured that could be something. She. I'd be quite excited to see what Robinson does in this. Well, mate, you, it she's... might take some of the advantage from Vlahova away that we've seen before because when it's been parallel slaloms Vlahova's just smashed through all the panels and been able to take a straighter line than anyone else and as we saw in the men's parallel GS it's just a slightly different dynamic it's more like a super slalom but it it was just a slightly different dynamic so I thought thought I'd have a a little pop with Robinson for the uh, 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 parallel GS that'll keep her coach happy he's Chris Knight Lindsay Vaughn's ex-coach so and I think Chris uh, tunes into your guys' podcast so You'll be happy with that. Nice, Ben. You're keeping, it, <laughs> keeping us in there. I, I think, actually, if, if that does happen, I think that's going to be great for the women's GS Tour because, obviously, with Robinson's win in Selden and then picking up the injury and then you know people were hoping, not, I don't think they were expecting yet, but hoping that she was going to pick up where she left off with Selden, you know, be one of the ones really challenging at the sharp end, um, just hasn't quite, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. There's lots of talented ladies there, but just, I I think she needs another little spark, and I think that that may, you know, if that does happen, okay. Schiffrin can have, a, have another person to look over her shoulder. At. Yeah, no, I, I think it's when obviously Robinson won the opener in Solden, it really did set the season alight. 
and then she picked up a little bit of a niggling injury but that's supposed to be almost behind her so if Alice can get back to her winning ways A she's a Kiwi it's fantastic yeah. and uh, and B um, to stop Schifrin as we've said many times before running away with it let's at least have a battle at the World Cup finals rather than Schifrin with all the globes in her pocket which yeah. doesn't really need to go absolutely okay right now we can get to Vingen I'm just excited to get to <laughs> love it uh, love it uh, uh, so Friday <laughs> sees us with an Alpine combined Saturday is the downhill and slalom is on Sunday it's a downhill Alpine combined as you'd expect from Vingen um, I can't wait to get back to Vingen I mean I'd love to be actually in Vingen but I'll have to make do with the telly but um, I can't wait I love it there it's and it's 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 a classic it, it truly is a classic but a classic with its own characteristic of course we know it as the longest downhill in the business but it's also got the fastest steep in the business the hunchoff the doghead jump is always got the world's best on their tippy toes and the weather will be a big factor as well yeah. um, with it being warm and uh, in the daytime spring like like we're having here in the UK and getting cold at night on the top part, so it's pretty icy and slick in places. So it's a classic always. The big names always want to win this one, and um, it, it's like winning the Monaco Grand Prix if you're an F1 driver. To say that you've won the Lauberhorn is something you can seriously hang your hat on. Whether it's a combined, a downhill, or a slalom, I don't care. If you've won on the Lauberhorn, you are made for life. Well, you talked about how the weather plays a big part here. I actually think this is one of the worst in terms of weather affecting results because it's because it's so long the start intervals between the the best guys is two and a half minutes so that we make sure that we see most of the good guys run on the telly uh, but so they start at it's usually I think it's about 11 but it takes two hours to 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 get through the whole field and so by the time the guys outside the 30 are running the sun's been beating down on that top section which is quite flat um for an hour so all of a sudden you've gone from bulletproof really fast icy snow that the the top guys get to all of a sudden you're in a very very wet I'm not talking about the fast wet you're talking wet wet snow at the top and with this weather conditions that we're having at the moment it's it's going to make it very very tricky uh, so i think that is my that's my one beef with Vengen, just be, but they can't do anything about it unless you're going to start chucking them down every two seconds but then you'd miss everyone's run so yeah, uh, they can't do anything about it but um i can't absolutely can't wait so we're going to kick off with the alpine combined with the new format as we've talked about so the fastest in the speed leg goes first in the slalom um, Nick, who do you think is going to come out on top? It's a lot more tricky than the than picking the uh, GS it's ladies. A lot, lot more tricky. <laughs> um, one thing I can confirm for Ben is that he he will and and some of those people who weren't that chuffed with what they saw at the weekend on the women's tour, you'll get a much sexier race with the men. Um, there's one or two of the downhill racers who I would never have predicted in a lifetime starting to train slalom quite seriously. People like Dominic Paris. People like Alexander Ormot Kilde, they now believe that they could possibly win some of these. And part of that, Ben, is because of this rule change that we were discussing. If Dominic Paris wins that downhill leg by over two seconds and he's number one, two or three out of the gate, he's got a much better chance of dealing with the snow. And of course, we all know the, the, the track, the Mandican slalom track in, uh, in Wengen is a tricky one. A lot of fall away, ebbs and flows, drops not too dissimilar to where we've been at the weekend. 
So I think we're going to see some very serious work from those downhill guys. Um, and I would dearly love to see Dominic Paris pull it off or Kildare pull it off. What I'm saying is I would like a speed racer to win this combined um, because we've stacked yeah. the rules back in favour of the tech skiers. I'd like the downhillers to say, you can stack it in their favour as much as you like. We're coming. I'm the best all-rounder in this business. Now catch me if you can. And my money is with Dominic Paris for the win. Question for oh, this yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, it's not the full downhill for the combined, though, is it? No. They don't do the, the beast mode one, do they? No, they do they, a short I think they off just they below the wind shop. The, is it there, or is it not the super gist? Is it not the super gist? I'm pretty sure it's just they sort of trickle down the hunchoff to get their speed, yeah. and then go into coach's corner, yes, and then I, away they yeah, go. I think they start the downhill leg at the at the left footer of the downhill just before the the, the hunchoff, so that you basically you you literally just plop off the edge of the hunchoff, which even at slow speed is still a distance. <laughs> still not to 60 in five seconds. Exactly. Yeah. That, uh, so no, it's not quite a full downhill now. If, if you did the two minutes 41, then I probably would skier. put my money on Dominic Paris because I don't think any of the slalom skiers would be able to sit in their tuck for, for that long, let alone do the turns just before the finish. They'd have to get down and walk the last bit. Yeah. Um, I put down uh, Victor Mufajonde just off the off back end of, of, of this weekend. He looked so comfortable. I think he might have podiumed in the Alpine combined here before as yeah, well yeah. Um, he's, he's got the style that will make it work obviously with the shuffle round m- might be a bit better for the speed guys but yeah Mufajondo is who I'll who pick for this one um, I pick. am going to go Kilda I think Kilda's going to do uh, um, because I know what you're saying about the uh, like Mufajondo's form and uh, but I think because of the nature of this track there is a lot of gliding and I think with all the gliding that is down the bottom with the fastest section ever, over 100 miles an hour, been hit on the uh, on the Lauberhorn before. Um, I think that with the slalom leg being the other way around, I just think that the speed skiers are going to be slightly out of reach. So I think that it's going to be Kilda, and I might, I might go full podium speed skiers. Ooh. I, I, I think I think that we, we may have the first sort of speed podium in an Alpine combined, which was which is going to be Kilda Paris and Matthias Meyer. Well, after the last Alpine, Alpine combined, I was laughing quite a lot with the speed guys and said they look like your dad doing slalom. So I have to <laughs> I think, pick. I have to pick a tech skier I after that. We, <laughs> I can't say Paris is going to uh, Paris is going to win after saying he looks like your dad skiing slalom. You know, I think be, not I think, your dad. I think just to clarify be, I think again. Chris would be right down the, I think you take, take looking like a downhill skier slalom. A dad, not your dad. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Uh, um, okay. Uh, what about the actual downhill? If I'm going first, it's uh, I think the Swiss roll from Adelboden will continue. I think um, Biat Foyts, for me, is becoming the master of the Labelhorn. Yeah. And what I like about Biat and why I pick him is, is really quite simple. He, he's the master, the, the maximum performance with the minimum effort. It's over 2.2 miles long, this racetrack. And, um, and so for Biat Foyts, I think he's got it. He's one of the few skiers that looks like he's got a little left in the tank when they get to that Z-less and then they drop down. And he doesn't like working hard in the gym. He's got a little bit of a beer belly after a good Christmas. And he's not renowned for being super fit. 
it's his ski technique that is super efficient. Yeah. And I think for me, he's going to be a tough man to beat, to be at for Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that efficiency stands him in good stead down there. Ben? Uh, Foyce was one of the two people I had down. The other one I had down was Matthias Meyer. He's had a very consistent start to the season. Um, he's not quite the same mould as Foyts, but he also doesn't rely solely on power and, and aggression. Someone like Paris is, is very much tailor-made for the likes of fighting with the Bormio piste. Um, so I felt like Meyer would have, have a good option. Um, the Austrians are still reeling a little bit they need they need something they've, they've, they've been doing okay in the speed events but they, they need someone to kind of really lay a marker down and there's you know no better place to stick it to the swiss than down Vengen, basically yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's the thing i think they'll like to you know thank the uh altamark you know repay that altamark sting yeah they yeah. do you know and then and if an austrian wins in Vengen, then the swiss team are given a bigger bonus by the ski federation to winning kitsville the weekend after Gosh. So that's how seriously it is. It's that Swiss-Austrian rivalry. And my Urs Lehmann is the president of the Swiss Ski Federation. Great pal of mine. I used to race with him in the old days. And he's told me that it's true. There is big bonus if you win Kitzbühel. Not because it's Kitzbühel, because you're stuffing the Austrians. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick on a similar vein to you, Ben. I think uh, Kriechmeier is, is going to do it. He took the win in the Super G recently. Where was the Super G that... In Lake Louise. In Lake Louise, he won the Super G. And I feel like he's been skiing very well recently. Uh, and I kind of feel like the Austrians have got a good shout here. But I think if I was going... I think it's for me, it's 50-50. For me, it's 50-50. So, uh, yeah, I think he's going to do it. What? Oh, yeah, Val Gardena. He won in Val Gardena in the Super G. Um, so I feel like he's, he's the man for Austria for me so I think that's where my money's going to go so you're both going Austrians yeah. angry, well, I, I, angry I, I, Swiss people good thing Nick's picked a Swiss yeah. man in Switzerland <laughs> and of course after Adelboden there'll be even more fans in Wengen than normal I mean I, th- I think their record there is 56,000 I tell you what that um, place is is absolutely buzzing the years I raced there it was it was like nothing else so you go up the train to get to the start and there's the guys in the finish area kicking off you've got that huge great big wall which is by Canadian corner isn't it the, yep. on the on the right hand side there as you look up the mountain and they're just ants you know there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them packed into every single nook and cranny to get a good look at this and one of my lasting memories of that place is how ridiculously small the finish area is mm. yeah yeah, that's you know it's old school. It's old school place. There's no you know classic sort of any any sort of classic racetrack, whether it's skiing, motorsports. The best ones would never be allowed to be built <laughs> now, and there's no way that you would get away with such a small finish area. Yeah, if you were no health and a, safety. No, absolutely none. Uh, On to the slalom, Nick. Um, slalom is a, is a fascinating one. This Manlikan track is is tricky. Uh, snow conditions will be key. I've heard that the warm weather has created a few issues for the uh, organising committee in Wengen. They've been helicoptering the snow because at the bottom of the track, um, there hasn't been enough there. The mild conditions have taken it all away. It's pretty low, that bottom part of Wengen anyway. You can walk to it from the the town, as we all know. So uh, snow conditions uh, will be key. Obviously, Daniel Yule, if he makes it three from three, 
will be, you know, legendary status. He will be a superstar. Swiss World Cup races never won three in slalom in a season. So he would be starting to put some serious print in the Swiss ski racing record books if Daniel could put it off. I kind of get a bit worried that the expectation is going to be too high. He's going to get that pressure that we were talking about with the Austrian boys, Ben, on his shoulders. Yeah. They will be hounding him. So I'm not so sure it'll be uh, Daniel Yule's day. I think Christofferson will keep chipping away. Um, as If he can get healthy, the track... One racer loves who we should watch, especially if the snow's a little bit up and down, is Pantoro. Mm. And the Manlikan is not too dissimilar to the La Fasse of Val d'Isère. And so I think Pantoro could be a man to watch. And I think Dave Riding will be in the top five. Oh, nice. Nice. So what was your call for the win? Pantoro. Pantoro. Pantoro for the win. Oof. I had uh, Noel for this one. He will be furious after skiing out. In the uh, Alban Slam, he looked good earlier in the week. He's had issues before where he's had strong first runs and then skied out. So he'll he'll have a little bit, I think, in the tank where he'll want to set that right. And we've seen him do it before. Um, so yeah, I, fa- I fancy fancy uh, Noel for the win in the slalom. Yeah, I think you know that that is a good shout. Nick, talk about Pantero. He. If he needs to continue this up and down season that he's had. So he's had a few uh, downs now. So I think he's due an up in terms of consistency. So you know that's a good shout. Clement O'Well is going to be at smarting after. You know, it was it's tricky because he wasn't skiing badly at all. He was he was absolutely flying. So I feel like he's going to only won last year. So you know, all of a sudden he's going to come there feeling good. You know, we talked about how being at a good place being at a, a venue that you've had a good result at plays a huge part in confidence moving forward um, I tend to agree that it's a huge pressure on Daniel Yule's shoulders but he sort of dealt with the pressure you know he did that in Madonna and then he did it again in Adelboden and I, I can't look past him I don't think, I think he's going to do it again Fantastic. I think, I I think you're right yeah I mean <laughs> To do a Swiss double, a Swissman doing a Swiss the Swiss double, I think. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that dangerous sort of. Sorry, Ben. We talked about that, that how you know that momentum. Yeah. You know, two really, obviously, two really good races, two back to back victories, um, off the back of not not great. You know that Zagreb where he was just inside the thirties, like twenty eighth or something, mental. Um, to then win, win, and I feel like he is going to be on cloud nine. He's going to float down there. If Daniel Yule wins the slalom in Vengen, he will be up there with Didier Kouch. And Didier Kouch outvoted Roger Federer for Swiss Sportsman of the Year for seven years back-to-back. So I think Yule, if he pulls it off, and I so hope you're right, I can't see it personally, but if you are right, I think a new Swiss legend is born. Yeah, I don't know if he's just got the emotional energy. If you think of how much it takes out of you... Uh, not that I know, uh, to win World Cup races, but you imagine like the emotional release of effectively his second and third World Cup wins in the space of a week must be just dealing with all the press afterwards yeah, must be yeah. so draining. He'll be still doing back-to-back interviews <clears throat> today. Yeah, uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's Sunday, so he's still got a time to, he has to you know, get back to zero, get back to his... And if, yep. the, if the weather plays up for the downhill, they'll just be turning the cameras and microphones back to him for more interviews if the training runs are cancelled or anything like that. 
the, yeah. the, they'll be they'll be all over him. So I just don't know how much emotional energy it takes. Obviously, the it's likes of Hersher seem to be able to back up week in week out. But I don't know if you need to build that resilience so that you don't idea. have the same emotional highs yeah. after every win and you just win a World Cup, shrug your shoulders, and go win the next one. Well, very true, very true. I think yeah, that's, I, de- I definitely didn't take that into account that he would have been absolutely you know, wall-to-wall interviews. A bit of a test for the Swiss team. You know, that's the responsibility exactly. of the coaches. Yeah. A bit of yeah. responsibility of the infrastructure, the management. It's something that Michaela Schifrin's team do very well. They keep her out the way. When it's time to work, she goes to work. And there's no press on the mountain. There's no interviews. Uh, maybe a few spies from Petra oh, yes. but that's Tell a story. You found this cracking article. A friend of mine sent me an article from an American journalist. I think it was the Denver Post who spotted some members of the Slovakian Ski Federation and ski team filming the training session of Mikhail <laughs> And now, uh, I'm only quoting what I read in a news <laughs> article. This is definitely not my story, but it's uh, quite an interesting one, and I think that it's got... Uh, I think it's got some legs. It's got some legs, yeah. Ooh. Love, more legs it. or less legs than Oxygen Gate? Whoa. <laughs> no, I love that this is some sort of... You know, spy. You hear about it, and you know all about it in rugby at the World Cup. And they're talking about you know these guys. You can just see them like pictured there with see their what you're doing, with yeah. their binoculars out and just filming training sessions. Yeah, and... I, I love it. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. No, of course it doesn't. I mean, if you can get a glimpse of what the, the best in the spread. world yeah. is doing, then why wouldn't you? And then if you can just sort of get it on your mobile phone at the same time, then it's a double whammy. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm surprised that it's taken a long time for it actually to be written about. But they should have been filming in their team jackets. They should have just gone their generic clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, undercover. Picked up a, an old US ski team suit somewhere. Um, let's yeah. Let's finish up on Dave and our hopes. Nick, you said that you, you think he could top five this weekend. Uh, we shouldn't lose hope on Dave. Um, I think as as an athlete, he he has a, such a tougher job than those in big teams. I think that um, the tough job that he has now is self-confidence, which we've seen Michaela Schifrin lose her self-confidence, and she's won everything the sport's thrown at her 10 times over. Um, I used to race with Ingemar Stenmark back in the 80s, and he would have a glitch, a blip, lose it. Um, and what Dave needs to be careful is that he just doesn't lose that love and passion of the sport because that's what's brought Dave riding to the top from a dry ski slope in Lancashire to the podium in Kitzbühel. Um, it's his love for the sport. And Dave, if you're listening in, and he and I had a big chat pre-season about lots of things up at his lovely cafe in, in, in Lancashire, uh, just keep going. Mm. The moves are there, the energy is there, the tempo is there. Believe in your own ability and love the sport. And I don't believe Dave will be in the top. I still believe wholeheartedly that Dave Riding will become our first British skier to win a World Cup race. That's that's a really good point from Nick as well. I had a text from a friend who uh, uh, listens to the podcast and he was saying, how do you think Dave would fare if he was in one of the bigger teams? And it was an interesting question because I thought if you take his age out of it, because well, we probably know as if he was an Austrian, he would have been discarded 10 years ago, 20 years ago, probably in the junior setup because don't, you're not winning World Cup races at 15, get out of our yeah. sight. Um, but just the fact that he is consistently in that top 20 bracket, you know, if he had someone like 
Herschel shielding him from all of the uh, f- from all of the pressure and expectation. It then only becomes the pressure you put on yourself. And I said, you know, he he'd be like the number two or three in most people's squads. So the fact that he's our number one and is at that level speaks like really highly of of just how good he is. So. It's brilliant that we have the expectations that we want him to come top five and top ten and you're disappointed if he's 15 to 20. But at the same time, it is a bit of pressure that he does also put on himself because he thinks the same way we do because he's come so far. He now expects it of himself. And same as Nick, just, you know, he's shown us exactly what he can do this season. He showed us on the first run uh, in Levy and he's shown glimpses of it in most races. You know, he said he skied pretty, he thought pretty badly at the weekend. He was in the top few in splits on both sections, um, or both top sections, both runs. So it's, it's there. You know, this, this piece is incredibly difficult. It's got everything uh, for a slalom track as well as, a you know, almost like a right angle turn on a steep as well, yeah. similar to this weekend. Um, but just, you know, keep enjoying it and keep going. He's, he, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking top 10 this weekend for Dave. Another one to back up the Madonna result, I think. Yeah, well, I think it'd be all important to, to stick a good result in this coming weekend just to help him give him that little boost ready ready for Kitzbühel you know he's obviously got great memories of Kitzbühel obviously with his first podium so um, I feel like a good solid performance here uh, I would be ecstatic with a top five I would love a top ten um, just because I feel like anything within the top ten gives him a real psychological boost and I think you're right Nick that that resilience that he's had to be to get him to the level he's at now is what he is needs to keep relying on to make sure that he doesn't allow what have been a few tricky races this season they haven't been bad races in you know context they've been great races but just not as great as they could or he would have liked them to have been so I feel like yeah, a good solid performance. Carry on where you know, take the good bits out of this last weekend, and make sure that he's just like you say, skiing what he sees. Don't get bogged down in in what he's trying to do. And on this hill that's coming up this weekend, it's a hill that again chucks everything at you. Um, so you have to ski what's in front of you and and try and enjoy it a bit. I think, but it's, it's pressure for Dave, and it's pressure from us looking in, and pressure from himself looking out to try and pick up his best skiing. So. I know he's going to listen to this podcast and all we need to say is, Dave, keep the faith. You're yeah. the best skier we've ever had and it's only a matter of time. Keep going, mate. We've got the faith. But no, you can't You can't start picking him, Ben. You still can't pick him. I'm on a roll now. If I'm ever allowed to pick him, surely <laughs> now's the time. Pick him, Ben. Yes, Dave, for the win. <laughs> um, all right, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you for joining us as well as you, Ben. Uh, even though you're gloating with all your victory picks. Um, I'm going to cut those out of the pod anyway, so <laughs> no one will remember. Uh, thanks again, and that's all we've got time for. Goodbye for now.